Today on the Cineos Health Podcast Coronavirus Special Edition, we're talking about virtual clinical trials. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. In the very first podcast, we talked to Dave Thompson. Dave Thompson runs real-world evidence here at Cineos Health. Virtual clinical trials are those that involve a wearable device and may take place in the home. And that's important because, as we're finding out in this coronavirus epidemic, that hospitals don't always have the time or the staff to be able to take another clinical trial patient in. There is a potential for non-continuity of care in the clinical trials themselves. Clinical trials in hospitals present a risk anytime there is a pandemic. Virtual clinical trials may provide a way out. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Virtual clinical trials next on the Cineos Health Podcast. David Thompson, welcome back to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. So the first time we talked, which was the last time, which was the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about real-world evidence. Are you still doing real-world evidence? <laughs> yes, I am. And I'm going to be doing real-world evidence for the remainder of my career. It's certainly not a topic that's going away anytime soon. In fact, quite the opposite. Things have grown considerably since we last chatted, which was, I don't know, two or three years ago, I guess. Today, we're talking about virtual clinical trials. Real-world evidence and virtual clinical trials sound like they are exactly the opposite of each other. What is a virtual clinical trial? Well, a virtual clinical trial refers to the use of technologies that patients already have in their hands, such as smartphones or on their wrists, such as wearables, to utilize these technologies for data capture. Patients can participate in clinical trials now without actually having to come in to study sites for all the poking and prodding and assessing that typically takes place to gather data on study measures. Now we're in a position with all these different peripherals to actually push the data collection process out to patients such that they can enter data into the system wherever they happen to be, usually in the comfort of their own homes. So that's kind of a revolution in the conduct of clinical trials. So my uh, juxtaposition of virtual, that word against real world, as as I have an ed word, that's just unfair. Virtual trials are real world trials, or can be. Well, when we think about real world versus clinical research, we think about the phases of development. And for the most part, during phase one through three, we're talking about clinical trials. And when we get out into phase four, we're talking about real world research. The interesting thing about virtual approaches is that they span the entire development continuum from phase one all the way through phase four. So when we talk about doing virtual research in the real world setting, We don't necessarily call them virtual trials because a lot of the research we do is actually non-interventional and doesn't actually involve a drug trial. But the techniques for virtual data capture are the same and can be applied regardless of the phase of development to which the study is being performed. So what could I measure that I wouldn't have to go to the clinic to get? The most straightforward application of virtual research is for the collection of patient-reported outcome measures. These typically involve assessment of patients' quality of life or symptoms or pain, things like that that tend to be subjective and that the patients 
have to complete an instrument to provide the data. So historically, these would be based on pen and paper. Patients would go into the study site, be handed a clipboard and a pen, and asked to fill out the instrument, hand it back in before going in for further assessments, blood draws, and what have you. Nowadays, we have the capacity to push those instruments out to patients via their smartphones such that they can record their responses, hit the send button, and the data would go straight to the clinical trial database. I can see how there would be an advantage on the patient-reported outcomes and it's basically taking paper or even a phone survey or something like that and turning it into something that's wearable. It's on your phone. It's easier, pretty clear. There have to be some things that because we have smartphones and apps, that these are trial designs we could never have done before. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. What you'll hear nowadays is a new buzzword called novel endpoints. And what we're seeing a lot nowadays is different study sponsors wanting to pursue clinical research and include, quote-unquote, novel endpoints in the process. And what these refer to are measures that are essentially made possible by the presence of the technologies that everyone walks around with, whether these are wearables or smartphones. So, for example, one very common clinical trial measure in a lot of cardiovascular types of studies, for example, is the six-minute walk test, which in a trial literally refers to how far a patient can walk in six minutes. Well, because smartphones have GPS technologies, the six-minute walk test is kind of obsolete because if we want to know patients' mobility, we simply need to ensure that they have their GPS on on their smartphone, and we can track just how many steps and how much mileage they're covering on a daily basis. So no longer do we need a measure like the six-minute walk test. I'll give you another example that's very interesting. We're familiar with a study that's ongoing in Britain right now called Cloudy with a Chance of Pain. And it's a nice pun, and therefore we know it's a British study. And what it refers to is the relationship between weather and pain symptoms in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And what they're able to do in this study is push pain instruments out to patients via their smartphones and use the geo-tracking technology embedded in the smartphone to link to local weather conditions. And so whenever the patient fills out a pain assessment, at that same time and in that same location, the smartphone pulls in the weather data, and both those bits of information are recorded into the study database, which enables the analyses to correlate different pain levels with different types of weather conditions, whether it's cloudy, whether it's muggy, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny all of these different factors that impact pain. And they've already reported out that indeed, the kinds of correlations that anecdotally we've heard about over the years do play out scientifically. And there's the idea there to back that out in a, I won't say a real clinical trial, but you know what I mean? If I'm doing a clinical trial on a pain medication and it's patient reported outcomes, I darn well want the weather to be at least neutral to me and fair, if not favorable, if you could get it. Obviously, you wouldn't do that, but you certainly don't want it to be unfavorable to you and be unfairly biased. Exactly. So at the very least, what we're talking about here is pulling in additional information 
that can be used to control for differences that might exist across different patient segments according to their geographic location. Seems really important for something like a depression trial, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can correlate it to the amount of daylight. We know that there's seasonal affective disorder. Things like that come into play. And that's what's really interesting about these technologies that we now have available to us on a widespread basis and how we're able to pull them in and utilize them. What are the problems with doing this? We've talked about the upsides. There have to be some things that are basically pitfalls that once we go to virtual trials, now we need to worry about. Yeah, everyone's excited about the potential of these virtual approaches, and in particular, the ability to reduce or in some instances completely eliminate study site involvement is something that has the potential to streamline and economize the clinical development process. We all know that clinical trials are a very expensive proposition. And site recruitment and site management is one of the big ticket items in clinical trials. So the ability to eliminate sites from the process is very attractive. You have to recognize, though, that those sites perform an essential function that if eliminated, you have to have some means of filling the void. The main thing that sites do is identify and refer patients into the trial and then keep the patients engaged while they're in the trial. If you eliminate the sites, you have to come up with an alternative means of identifying and recruiting your patients and alternative means of keeping those patients engaged so they don't drop out. So that's one of the challenges. It's easy to talk about this in the abstract, but when you have to think about where the rubber hits the road, you better have an alternative set of tires or else you're going to quickly find yourself in the ditch. As we record this, we are in the early days in the U.S. of the COVID-19 pandemic. I have no idea how it's going to end out, um, and I have no idea what the kind of disruption is going to take place in hospitals that often are clinical trial sites. I have to think it's one of the greatest concerns that exists is every phase three trial out there that might not be able to collect their data because patients can't get to the hospital. The hospitals are overwhelmed. Virtual trials, is that a potential, at least safer solution for this kind of downside risk? Potentially it is, but as you say, it's too soon to tell. Everything right now is disrupted. You can't even buy toilet paper at the local grocery store. And we know there are no shortages, right? So time will tell. But in theory, what we're talking about with virtual approaches is exactly analogous to what we're all doing nowadays in the workplace. Everyone who can work from home is doing so. So if you don't have to go into the office, if you're set up electronically to work from home, then by all means, you're doing it because everyone wants to eliminate exposure to the illness. By the same token, if study sites are overwhelmed with the care of coronavirus patients as well as all the other patients, there wasn't a lot of excess capacity in our hospital system to begin with. It may be difficult to launch trials in these sites, and virtual approaches might be an answer to that. As I say, it's too soon to tell. There's a lot that needs to be worked out, and we've got to get past this crisis. But when you think about it, in theory, the virtual approach to clinical research obviates the need to have clinical trial sites. The data collection process goes straight to the patient. 
Therefore, the burden on the healthcare system imposed by clinical research would be reduced, if not eliminated. And that's a risk that if you were a CEO of a company, you probably just didn't think about before. But I can tell you, David, they're calling us right now in consulting to ask them what the contingency plans are for how long COVID-19 goes on. And I have to imagine that in the future, when one is trying to create not just a sales force that has some kind of resiliency to it, but a clinical trial that has some kind of resiliency to it that they're going to be calling you. Yeah. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of blue sky thinking that takes place to figure out how to address this new reality we find ourselves in. It all depends upon how long this takes place. If this is a two to three month interruption, even if it's a six month interruption, that's one thing. But if this in some sense is our new reality for the foreseeable future, then we're going to see a lot of different novel approaches to data capture and staging clinical trials come about. David, is there a poster child for virtual research? Yeah, right now, the most popular one out there is the Apple Heart Study. And this is a very large study, something like 450,000 Apple Watch wearers have been recruited into the study. And it's very interesting because all you have to have is an Apple Watch and an iPhone. And every aspect of the study is conducted virtually. If you're interested in the study, you click on a link and it'll give you background materials. If you want to enter the study, you click another link to fill out the informed consent form. And at that point, upon entering the study, the instructions to the participants are very interesting. It says, all you have to do is wear your watch. Heart rhythm data will be collected automatically and sent on a nightly basis to the study database. And in those instances in which a heart rhythm abnormality is detected, only in those instances will patients be identified for further data collection. Patients are not contacted otherwise. They have to do nothing other than wear their watch. This is the most popular example of virtual research at this point in time. And it's an actual study in which, on a population-wide basis, we're seeing to what extent heart rhythm abnormalities exist in the U.S., and we're also getting a chance to see the benefits of using connected devices as a means of screening patients for diseases that they might not know that they have. And to date, about half of a percentage of the patients in the trial have recorded an abnormal heart rhythm and have therefore been targeted for additional screening. Oh, you scared the heck out of me. Now i got to buy that smartwatch. You're telling me I have to buy an Apple watch now. <laughs> what terrible news, David. And David, tell me about the paper that you've just written. So we've just written a paper on virtual research, what it is and what it's doing in the real-world setting. And essentially, there's three premises behind the paper. Number one, Virtual research is one of those new buzz terms that everyone's talking about, but not necessarily everyone knows what they're talking about. The first thing the paper does is try to develop some clarity on exactly what virtual research is. And in a nutshell, it's as we've been discussing. It's using connected devices such as smartphones and wearables and sensors as an alternative means of data capture that preclude 
the need for patients to go into study sites. So that's what virtual research is all about. The second part is, well, what is it doing in the real-world setting? What we're finding in our real-world late-phase group here at Sinios Health is that a lot of the biopharma industry is very interested in these approaches for a variety of reasons, most likely the potential cost savings at the top of the list, but they're also very risk-averse. So what we see them doing is saying, we want to go virtual in our clinical trials, but we want a crawl, walk, run approach. And so as a means of taking this gradualist approach to adopting virtual techniques, what they say to themselves is, we don't want to risk our pivotal phase three clinical trials because that's too important to gain approval. But what we can do is a real world study, say a patient registry, or another kind of real-world research design, phase four research, what have you. And we'll pilot test virtual approaches in that setting for potential to gain some lessons learned, do some fine-tuning and tweaking, and then apply these techniques in future clinical trials. So we're seeing that manufacturers are coming to us, to our group specifically, because they want to pilot test virtual approaches in their clinical research. Then the third thing that the paper does is offer a taxonomy of different kinds of virtual studies that have come about. I mentioned the Apple Heart Study, which is a prospective interventional type of study. Fitbit wearers are contributing in a very passive way data to the Fitbit system related to their sleep patterns, and those data are being retrospectively analyzed. So that's a very different kind of study from the Apple Heart study. So we've come up with a two-by-two classification system that essentially offers a typology of different kinds of virtual research. And the intent there is to, in much the same way that any kind of taxonomy is designed, is to help us understand the different flavors, the different types of virtual research that currently exist, and the different types that we might pursue in the future. So that's what the three themes of the paper capture. All right, and we'll put a link to the paper in our show notes. David Thompson, thanks so much for joining us again on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's been my pleasure. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health shortening the distance from lab to life.